Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast. If you're like me, you're missing the archers. So just for lockdown, we've brought the Wiggly Podcast back. Hope you enjoy it. So Phil, that's the fan drying the bokashi, is it? Yeah, that's just putting the finishing touches to the latest batch of bokashi. We've got an order for 900 kilos. One kilo bags. Well, I'm sure Ken will be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> so how's it looking? Yeah, it's all good. Well, while the weather's nice like this and sunny, it's much easier to dry things like Bokashi because obviously the air we're pushing through it is dry. And it's using the grain store when yeah. there's no grain in it. Yeah. So basically, um, because of most of what we grow is grown for seed, it will go in and out of the grain store quite quickly and so there are areas of the grain store which are unused potentially for most of the year round some of them are used for storage but it's logical to use the drying ability for something else and hence bokashi and so we're walking through the paddock up to the cows this is an unusual event for you (laughs) well we have quads for this purpose normally (laughs) But it is bank holiday. So we're walking the dogs. But we've just turned some more cows out. So um, it's quite important to make sure. It is quite a shock to the system for most cows when you turn them out. Um, And so you do have to just make sure that they're reasonably happy. Well, not only that, you've taken their calves away, haven't you? Well, some of them, but... It's the shock of you've changed their diet from you know conserved food to fresh grass, and it is quite a quite an upheaval for their digestive system, and that's without the you know the fact that it might rain or be cold on them. So what could happen? Well, you're looking for cows that you know if they if their condition score has not been great, they might be more susceptible, and they'll feel sorry for themselves and you need to look after them at that point. And we've just come to a crossing of water and it hasn't rained for quite a while, so what's this? This is spring water coming from the wood and it's actually come via... We have several water supplies, plumbed water supplies, that collect water from the springs in the wood and this is one of the overflows that ultimately comes down through the farm. I see. So, if a cow's got a problem, how does it manifest itself? Uh, usually, she might be lying not with the others. She might be looking a bit sorry for herself. Um, just generally malcontent. And the first thing is that you would identify her as requiring close looking at tomorrow, if you see what I mean. Yeah. To see whether she gets over it. Or uh, otherwise, you'd bring her back into the shed and give her TLC and possibly get the vet if that's what's required. And is it a mineral issue? No, it's usually a condition, age, it's all those sorts of things. Because when you put sheep out, there's the magnesium. Yeah, well, we do have that. Oh, a fallen tree. But what we What's do... this? Oh, this was a bow that was blown down there and we moved it to move the cattle up through there, but ah. Monty didn't clear it up. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, we just climb over the tree, everyone. Firewood on the hoof. Okay. Okay, so, so no, we do have magnesium issues with cattle when you turn them out, but we overcome that with 
putting a magnesium supplement which is metered into their water supply. Right. And that means that... Is that what you call the blue water? Yeah. And that's a really clever thing because all, all cattle have to drink and as long as there's no other water supply within the field, you know, stream or whatever, you know they're getting their magnesium and that's important. Is there any controversy over that? Because that sounds like chlorine in water. No, it's, 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 basically it's a salt. But it's a particular salt with magnesium in it. And it just means they get enough into their blood system. And that means they don't suffer a condition which is known colloquially as staggers. Uh, or more accurately, hypomagnesemia. Which is a short-term deficiency of magnesium. But the effect is a complete uh, an overwhelming effect on the their nervous system and they will basically lie down and thrash and five minutes later they're dead so we're in middle bank now aren't we we are so the grass looks really good they've only been in here a day or two it's really green and lush but the thing that i'm noticing is their poops it's so, green and lush <laughs> well I'm expecting a cow pat to be a rounded pile with a bit of a horsefly on it or something. And these are a serious splat. Well, that, that is really a reflection of the uh, greenness of the grass that they're eating. Right. Um, and this time of year, they, it would tend to be, they would tend to be very loose and green. <laughs> As you get later on in the season, the grass becomes drier, goes yeah. through it and becomes higher dry matter. So is that good or bad? Well, there's less goodness in it, but it slows it up through the cow so that their muck will be more solid then. And just explain a cow ruminating, because you and I do a lot of ruminating. <laughs> not quite but it's not the quite the thing. same thing, is it? No, well, so basically the digestion of cellulose, which is the building block of grass and all other plant-based uh, materials, in order to get the most out of it, you have to break down the cellulose. And cellulose is quite difficult stuff to break down. And so a cow does it by eating it, chewing it, giving it a fair go at the first time of asking in the room, and then it coughs up the contents of the room and, <laughs> and chews it again. Nice. And it's a physical... Do vegetarians have to do this? Well, no, because vegetarians... Um, well... In theory, we're omnivores, so we don't have to get that level of goodness out of plant-based food. Hang on, I've done a skiddy. <sighs> Did you want to rephrase that? <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah. my wheels have spun on the grass. Okay, so what about dandelions? Because I like a dandelion, and I can see quite a few in this field. Well, these permanent pasture fields, so... They've been grass for a long time and we don't reseed them. They're under currently an environmental scheme management option, which limits the amount of fertiliser we can put on them. And it also limits the amount of weed killer we can put on them. That's so, good. Um, well, some and some, the limit of fertiliser isn't a problem. The weed killer issue is a bit of a problem because in theory, you're not allowed to overspray them with weed killer. You can spot spray them. But this has been. But I've seen the cow eating a dandelion. Uh, yeah, they will eat the odd dandelion. So if what's your problem too, with them? If there the aren't too many, they're not. A, they're not a huge issue. Um, in this field, there are a few docks which are more of an issue. 
Well, they're uh, good for nettle skins, uh, nettle stings. Well, they might be good for nettle stings, but cows don't get nettle stings, so they Do don't cows really... not eat dogs? No. Why? They don't like them. They oh. prefer, prefer the grass, and the docks shade the area and stop the grass growing. So how long has this field been grass, and what sort of grass is it? Well, it's all sorts of grass. To my knowledge, I mean, we've never played it, so it was grass when we came here, so whatever that was. 1983. 30-odd years ago, nearly yeah. 40 years ago. Um, I know it was cleared from wood um, in the late 30s. Right. Between the wars. But I also know it's been ploughed. So it was probably ploughed during the Second War. But I So, guess... why haven't you ploughed it, said Heather, out of breath up a very steep bank, imagining that might be why? Well, that's partly why. And um, the other issue is that, that we do we do cultivate some of the banks, but because this is glacial um, territory, so the geography of the area is basically glacial, you'll see the field undulates. Yeah. So it's not like a sort of water-created thing. It's got mounds and round bits in it, and that's what the ice has done. But the great joy, from an arable point of view, is those mounds contain a lot of stone. And so from that point of view, it's difficult and it's steep. But for cows... It's good. Because they like, they like banks, they like lowland. They don't want sheepland, do they? No, I mean, from a, from a cattle point of view, it's pretty good. The only issues we have is that these banks are predominantly north-facing. So it's fine in the summer, they're not too hot for them, because you can get cattle too hot. They're better off to stay a little bit cooler. It grows a reasonable crop of grass in a not terribly intensive fashion, and so they do very well. What, where you lose out the north-facing bit is that your grazing season is shortened, and in the winter time it's cold, very cold in these fields, and the grass is a little bit slow to grow in the spring because obviously you have to wait for the warmth to get at it. But that, you know, in the broad scheme of things, it's part of a mixed farm. Somebody's got to have a north-facing bank to go with a south-facing bank, so... So, let's walk up to them. We've got Marge, the cairn terrier, with us, who's very enthusiastic. And Mavro, the Sharpe, who came for a month, 18 months ago, who is... Um, he loves cows, doesn't well, he? I would say that... Good boy. I would be are. very reticent about going into a field of cows and calves. And in many ways, cattle are tall with dogs. But thanks to Marjorie and Mavro's delightful culinary tastes, <laughs> these cattle are well used to the pair of them, so they don't see them as a threat. So you can hardly say they're disturbed by their presence. No, they're not, are they? Um, so they know they're here, but they don't feel threatened. But if you took them in a field of cattle that didn't know them, you could have a big problem, and you could have a very big problem. So I'm going to try and take a picture of what I'm looking at, listener. And so this will be up on the blog, hopefully. It's a pretty good scene. So we've got black cows and we've got pretty good view. Look over there, Phil. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm getting you in the photo. Oh, I see. <laughs> it's an interesting aspect that anybody who says that animals don't enjoy the view 
I believe to be wrong because you will catch them just stood there gazing into the middle distance and I think there is something to be said for it. So looking at our herd I can see only one problem as a, a non-farmery type and that is the black and white cow over there I can see her ribs Yep. and the other cows I can't see their ribs at all they look in really good nick and that brown and white brown and cream cow just looks fat <laughs> well basically the idea these cattle uh, will have calved from the 1st of January until about three or four weeks ago and the idea is that so that some of them their condition scores will be low by virtue of the fact that they've, they've been inside, they've been raising a calf milking. And the idea is that you turn them out onto grass, which gives them extra. We do feed them extra when they calve, but the idea is that if you have a rising condition score, so from fairly thin, that cow is not carrying any extra, but I actually wouldn't call her thin, so she's got not much fat on her. Right. That's partly breeding, she's half dairy origin but that's also because now she'll put a bit of cover on with grass and that helps them get in calf if you have a declining condition score i.e you're keeping them too hungry they won't tend to get in calf and we want them to get in calf now with a view to calving next spring okay so sorry about this if you're eating your breakfast but this cow is pooing and that is that's a runny, that's a runny poo. That's completely normal. Is but it? Complete, this time of year on fresh grass, Yeah. that is how it is and best not to get in the way, particularly if they cough. <laughs> and so just so I've understood this, so Mike, most animals don't like to live where they poo and that cow has just pooed right there, right there. So how long does it take for that to break down? Well, it entirely depends on how much rainfall we have. The flies and insects will tend to process cow muck. Yeah. You know, you talked about cow pats having bugs and what have yeah. you in them. That's part of the process. <coughs> but basically, they will graze this field and then we'll move them onto another field and we'll probably fertilise it as they go out. Yeah. So the fresh grass will grow through what cow muck is there and then they'll eat the fresh grass. Cattle are not, by design, terribly close grazers. They're not like sheep. So if you get once you get down towards the ground, they start to lose interest. They can't they can't get enough of the grass. They prefer a bite to go at. So why don't you put sheep on here after? Because I haven't got any. Yeah, but you could get some. Well, I could, but then I couldn't have as many cattle. So right. It's just a factor. Of, you know, we we can rotate them round, and we will use the grass in the end um, but it's just in order to to keep them nice you keep moving them onto a fresh bite so they have chosen as far as i can see exactly the middle of the field yeah so it's a lovely day why well there are probably several reasons one it's a fairly level bit yeah so it's leveler than they don't like sitting on a bank um they will have spent this morning when it was very sunny, they'd have gone under the trees in the shade. Yeah. Uh, they tend to graze at night. Right. They like grazing at night. And so they've just chosen this area as being a reasonably comfortable area to sit. And so when you're looking at them as a farmer, do you know each one? Yeah. So this one here, this one looks a character. 
So yeah. who's this number 44? 44. Well, 44 has been slacking. Oh. She didn't have a calf this time. So she so looks in good nick. She's got a bit of cover on yeah. her. Yeah. So she she um, has had a strong word and George has been told to pay special attention on the basis that he won't get many more chances. I see. Um, but they will occasionally take a year off. Good, good girl, 44. So that's a big old girl, isn't it? Well, it is. How, how heavy would she be? About six, seven hundred kilos. I want to get on her back now. What well, would happen? She'd buck. It'd be entertaining. <laughs> I'll sit. She's quite quiet. I mean, it is the advantage that we do like to have fairly quiet cattle. Yeah. And we have got some that are not so quiet. Um, but it is easier if they don't go mad every time you see them. So I'm actually leaning on her. And so I see we've got the bull. Yep, George. So he doesn't seem to be up to much. No, he's having a sit down. So there would be a nice thought to think that most of these would already be in calf. Including um, you, 44. Yeah, especially including you. Um, but like humans, they cycle once a month. And, you know, assuming that the calving was no problem and there were no issues post-calving, the act of calving actually makes them quite fertile. It makes them cycle. You mean they have a period? Uh, not in quite the same way as a human does, but yes, the biology is exactly the same. So what we can see when with blood coming out? A little bit. A oh. little bit. Not much, but a little bit. And the calves? Yeah. They look dirty. Yeah. As if somebody is actually... Well, that is a, con- <laughs> <laughs> that is a direct consequence of where the uh, breakfast bar is at the same end of their mother as the green liquid um, oh, offering yeah, okay. that is coming out of them. Yeah. So that there is a little bit of a hazard involved with having <coughs> one's breakfast at the wrong time. Um, but basically, in terms, muck won't hurt them, not in that way, but what we are looking for, we don't want to see any of them scouring. So I would be particularly looking for calves that look tucked up, again, separate, not feeling very well, looking a bit sad. There isn't any of those, Phil. Um, so, is there? I would be also looking <coughs> at any muck around their tails. So at the moment, there's a sort of greenish oh, tinge to a yeah. lot of it. So they're starting to eat a little bit of grass with their milk. But I would be looking if there was any brown scour, that would be a sign of coccidiosis, easily cured but very damaging if it isn't. And the other thing is if you get a watery, milky scour then that is also bad news because it dehydrates them. Now, it's no problem if it's just through large quantities of milk, but if it becomes an infection, it becomes more water and they, they can't keep hydrated. And do you come and check these every day? Yeah. 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 So and this, this cow, we treated... This is, hang on, number seven. seven. We treated the other day. Now, this cow's had one or two problems. That You can see her feet are not very yeah. good. We had a go at her feet this autumn. and She needs a manicure. They're better. Right. But we will have another go at them. Yeah. So that it's an ongoing process. But we think she had a little bit of fowl in the foot, which is a bacterial infection. So we treated that two nights ago. Uh, She was feeling very sorry for herself, and you would have thought you could have walked up to her and injected her. But I have to say that I traversed the field at least three times before I'd managed the task. Oh, I think we could but inject her today, you know. She's, 
much happier. She was chewing the cud when we came up here, and so I think we've got the right the right answer. And this autumn, we'll trim those feet again because they're they're overgrown. They're not how they should be. Yeah. And we will get her back to how she should be. It is a problem that we have with the Simmental cross calf cows. Do you remember that um, runner? Was it Fluella somebody with those nails? Oh yes, the American yeah, sprinter. Yeah, that's a bit like her. But yes, these these are not very good, and she's she's probably missed out in the past on foot trimming when she should have been trimmed. But we'll get her back, and we are getting her back. But it's a case of doing it not too much at a time. Now looking around, honestly, every calf I seem to see is a bull calf. Um. Have you got too many bull calves? Not, not really. You can't have too many bull calves, but actually I don't. I think that they're about 50-50. It's just the way they're standing. But aren't girls more valuable because you can keep them? No, not these sort, because these are beef calves. Yeah. They don't make very good cows. They don't have enough milk and they're difficult to calve. So it's better off that they, they go to make beef. I see. So, I mean, it's lovely up here. The, the mums with their babies and everything's content. But very soon, all that's going to change. In as much? You're going to wean them. Ah, well, yes, in the autumn time. Right, they've but got all summer then. They've had all summer, but by the end of the autumn, their mothers will be largely fed up with them, although they might shout Understandable. a bit when they <laughs> Calves are like humans. They, they get to their teenage years, if you like, six months old. They're, they're pretty boisterous, and their mothers are starting to think about the next one yeah and so weaning them is a good thing um it's not it's not a commercial thing it's for the benefit of all concerned and just before we finish is there anything that's dangerous to a cow in a field like this i'm thinking about i don't know yellow rattle well, or um, ragwort or are, are trees plants. or yeah there are plants that are poisonous to cattle but there are not very many that they will eat as they're growing. So they sort of know the problems come if you top a field and you say that say there's ragwort in it and it wilts, that's very poisonous. Um, nightshade, if you cut it or spray it, can sometimes become palatable. Yew trees, if you cut yew off a tree and they have access to it, that's deadly to them. Um, and there are one or two other plants um, that, that there are sort of specialist weeds in different parts of the world. Tall larkspur is one that you get on some heathlands. Oh, we've planted some of that, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's different. Fairly poisonous to a cow. But I'll show you one calf over here, which is what we're aiming at. This is a heifer calf, and uh, Monty and Ken. Wow! <laughs> took an awful lot of effort to produce this. She's a big old thing. But that—that's what we're aiming at. Oh yeah. And that's a, a well-muscled, well-balanced calf. And the reason her parentage is her mother is a quarter South Devon. So you've got half Angus, quarter South Devon, and a quarter probably Hereford Frisian, something like that. But that has produced a well-muscled, well-balanced heifer in this case. But that will grade very well. You know what that's got? Booty. <laughs> it has got booty, yes. <laughs> Definitely. Um... Lastly, for those of us that don't understand how you know how many cows to put on how big a patch, how do you know that these cows have got enough 
grass and how do you know how many you should put in this field? Well, there's an old tradition, there's an old saying, which broadly speaking, you have a cow and a calf to the acre total. Now, that's not to say that you put 10 cows and calves in 10 acres for the whole summer. You don't. It's much better you move their pasture. There's several reasons for that. Worming is one of them, is that if, if you move them around, it breaks the worm cycle. So that that's a good thing. Grass grows better if you graze it quickly and then fertilise it. So basically... Why I'm, don't you strip graze it then? Well, you could do. But with suckler cows, you don't need to particularly. With dairy cows, you would. Definitely. Why? Um, just to get extra efficiency out of the grass. But this is not terribly high production grassland. You know, dairy grassland, we'd be using high sugar grasses and pushing the, pushing the grassland along. This is more extensively farmed. Low input. Lower inputs and so on. Just as a matter of interest, now that you can see Mavro up against the wood, this field... Mavro is the sharp, eh? This field borders the wood. Um, but Mavro is standing right on a badger track. Oh, yeah. And you can see where the badgers come out of the wood oh, yeah. and down the field. Now, of course, badgers and cattle are rarely a good combination. Um, because of TB. Because of bovine TB. But in our case, at this point, our badgers, we believe, are clean. So our cattle are, broadly speaking, clear of TB. Whilst that situation is as it is, I'm quite happy. But should our badgers catch TB, then the situation gets much more difficult. But of course, you can't control the badgers. I can't control the badgers, although I have uh, resisted joining the badger cull. We are in a cull area, but I've told them they're not culling my healthy badgers. Why? Because they're my best defence. So that any diseased badgers that are roaming across the countryside, hopefully my healthy ones will chase them off. So what would you say to Brian May? I'd say he is completely disillusioned and he doesn't understand how a badger lives and the relationship within TB. I'm quite happy to admit that the cattle gave the badgers a TB in the first place, but we didn't know that problem at the time. And now we have an issue which is harmful to all of us, badgers included. Uh, and you love badgers, don't you? Of course, I mean, you know, they're great things to see. We see a hell of a lot more of them now than we ever used to. Um, and, you know, arguably, there are too many of them but in this situation there are not too many of them for me because they'll keep out any non-native ones but in a broad you know I remember as a child it was very rare to see a badger but that's because they were controlled in a gentle sort of way now we have the problem that where they've got TB or they're being culled it's all a fairly blunt instrument isn't it it's, there's, there's no sense to it and you have extremist views like Brian Mays and one or two other so-called environmentalists, but they're, they're not looking at the whole picture in any sensible way. You have to consider all the aspects, people, planet and profit, because without one of those, the whole doesn't work. He's a good guitarist, though. He can play guitar. Yeah, he's very good at that. Remember him on the top of the palace when uh, well, it was yeah. the Jubilee, he was that, strumming away. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're very pleased to hear you describe him as strumming. Oh. Well, what is it then? I don't know. I'd much sooner he played guitar than tell me what to do with badgers, but anyway. And you are useless on the guitar. I'm not Although, rumour has it you could play the clarinet. Well, there is, there is that vague rumour in the dim and distant past. Come on then, dogs. Let's go.
If you've enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would go to iTunes or your podcatcher and pop a review up for the podcast on there. Thanks. Here on the farm, time for Ask Wiggly. So this week, we've got a question in from Lee Oakes. He's a farmer in Norfolk and he says, what is worm compost and how do I make it? And first of all, thanks to Lee for uh, looking after Monty when he was on placement from Harper. Much appreciated. So as a farmer, you'll no doubt know the value of worms inside your soil. They aerate it, they help the drainage and they also produce a worm cast so they recycle organic matter like lawn clippings and weeds and when they eat it they produce a poop which is really rich in nutrients making your own worm compost is just providing the conditions for the best composting worms which are Icenia andre and dendrobina venita to actually recycle kitchen waste and turn it into worm casts these worms like to live in the surface of the soil so there's 16 plus species of uk earthworm and we use two that are particularly good at dealing with organic matter and you usually find these naturally in a manure heap or in uh, on the floor of a forest and they like to live in the top layer of humus and make their casts within the top few inches of the soil so you can harness the power of earthworms into a kit or a a heap and uh, they gradually compost kitchen waste and turn it into really rich nutrient rich fertilizer and also a worm tea that you can use on your garden we provide kits that put it all together to make it easy for you or you can do it yourself by Um, getting the conditions right for worms to be able to work and it means that instead of buying your compost forever and your liquid feed maybe your miracle grow that you can actually make it yourself and have free liquid feed and worm casts for life you can use them quite sparingly it's a lovely way of getting rid of lots of kitchen waste and making something really useful out of it so Hope that gives you a starter. If you want to know more about it, Lee, or anyone else, go to our website, wigglywigglers.co.uk and click on the Herbalives or the Wormy videos. There's lots on there. Thanks for listening to the Wiggly podcast. If you want to know anything more about us, just go to the website, www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. And now you can leave a question for Farmer Phil or Terry or me if you really want to, even Monty. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.